You remember the first time you tried something you ought not to do? The first time you, you did something that, like a sin, that you weren't supposed to do. Maybe, maybe you're a little kid, right, and you kind of stole that, that bubble gum, right, from the candy store. Boy, you're really nervous. Mom said not to do that. Dad said not to do that. But you did it. And then the second time, you say, you know what, I might want two bubble gums. It got a little bit easier, didn't it? Now, we can extrapolate that to all kinds of sin, right? The first time, it's hard. But the second time, it becomes easier. And then... It begins to what? Consume you. You want more and more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. All right, so Revelation chapter 9, verse 13 says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and by the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. Verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Okay, so I titled this message The Sixth Trumpet and the Second Woe, and that's what we're on in this whole progression of judgments. Remember, we have seven seals of judgment. The seven seals, they're closed upon or they're sealed uh, this, um, this scroll that was introduced to us in Revelation chapter 5. Remember, the Lamb of God is the only one that is able to loose the seals of this scroll. Okay, so we've been marshalling through these seven seals. In this seventh seal are seven trumpets of judgment, and in the seventh trumpet, we're going to see our seven bowls of judgment. Now, I want to underscore to you, or remind you, in the seventh seal, remember right before the seventh seal was loose, what preceded that was 30 minutes of silence. Remember that? Now, I want to highlight this to you because 
I would just suggest to you, and we talked about this when we covered this, is that this 30 minutes of silence in heaven is really God's act of mercy, kind of a pause, right? A quiet before the storm. We noted that. But I also want to note as we looked at this fifth trumpet judgment, the first wool, wanted to underscore this or highlight this is that that was an act of God's mercy as well. Remember we looked at this fifth trumpet judgment. What was that? Remember there was a release of this whole demonic realm from the bottomless pit. Remember we saw Satan was fallen. It's completed work and we looked at Revelation chapter 12 to get the commentary on that. He's now confined to this earth. His diminishing authority He's confined to this earth during the tribulation. That's when all hell breaks loose in the latter part of the tribulation I believe. But Satan... He's confined to this earth and he's given the keys to unlock the abyss and this whole demonic realm comes and they come and they devour man, mankind. Now, devours man in terms of attacking man but not allowing them to die. Remember, tormenting man. And we know that, and they can't die. And it was for five months. Now, how does mercy come into the play with that? Well, mercy because it's a taste of what we looked at was Gehenna. Remember, we studied the different compartments of hell in Gehenna is one of them, that's at the great white throne judgment, and all those that are not of the faith, right, that are not born again, have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all those, right, that are not of the faith, they receive eternal bodies to be cast into Gehenna. What's Gehenna? Well, it's the, what, fiery furnace, where weeping and gnashing of teeth occur. That's what Jesus says, right? And so it's outer darkness there. And so we noted that one place of hell, right, it's an eternal place, and you receive an eternal body at the great white throne journey to be cast in there. And so it's interesting. You can't die in the eternal fire, but you'd be tormented forever and ever in a physical eternal body. And so we noted this last week. We underscored how this is uh, in the fifth trumpet judgment. The first one is actually a prelude to that. It's a foretaste of that. That this demonic realm, they come on out, right, and they torment men. They put pain on man, and then they're in so much pain, mankind that doesn't have that mark of the seal of the Holy Spirit, I believe, that uh, shows that they're uh, believers in Christ. All those ones that don't have that mark, what's going to happen? They're going to be in torment. They're going to want to die, but they can't die. And they'll be tormented for five months. Isn't that kind of a foretaste of what Gehenna is like? So in that, we see even God's mercy is going out. He's giving them an opportunity after that because they can't die. After that, to repent and say, you know what? Lord, I believe on the name of Jesus Christ, right? And so we see in that even as an act of mercy. But I want you to note this too. Remember in the first four trumpet judges when there was judgment upon the earth. Even that is an act of mercy. It's a third. Remember a third of the trees, a third of the seas, a third of the waters. We noted a third, right? And his judgment upon the land, even that, in that, is an act of mercy. Judgment upon man hasn't come yet, but judgment upon the earth. The blessings that the earth has, a third of the trees, a third of the vegetation, right? A third of the waters. All those things that bless man up from the earth, right? Those things are judged, we saw. And in that we see what? God's mercy. But now we see judgment upon mankind directly. As we saw last week, the torment from this demonic realm that is allowed to come out of the abyss. But now we see a third of mankind is actually killed, taken out. Now, can you imagine that? A third of mankind. Now, we already know that in the prior judgment, a fourth of mankind was killed. 
And so you think about, I don't know if you've ever done a, um, a study of how many uh, people are on this earth today. How many know how many people are on the earth today? I just looked that up again. You know, it's almost 8 billion people now. Matter of fact, you can go to a website and you can click on it, and it actually shows the increase of people coming on this earth. They've estimated that, right? And so the count is going. And it's about 7.9-something billion. And so you see it increasing, even as you're kind of watching it. Seconds, it's increasing. You know, people are being birthed all the time. And so this earth is being increased in population very fast. Before too long, it's going to be 8 billion people. So you think about that. A quarter of 8 billion is what? 2 billion people in the prior judgment killed. And then a third of that, so a third of 6 billion is what? Another 2 billion. So 4 billion people, almost 4 billion people taken out in these judgments. Think about that. Has that ever happened? It's never happened. No. Now I want to underscore this as well. When you study the tribulation and you see all these judgments, you cannot question if there's a God anymore, can you? God is doing this. He's shaking the heavens and the earth. And you know, when you read Revelation here, you can note this. You can, you can um, uh, underscore this, that these people that are perishing, they know God exists. All that to say is I was reading a commentary uh, by Dr. Um, Henry Morris, and he drew this to his reader's attention, and I never really thought about it. It is true. You know, in the tribulation, there's not going to be any atheists. Isn't that interesting? Because they're going to know God is judging. But you know, they're still not going to follow him. And that's the seriousness. That's the sad tragedy when it says they did not repent. They did not repent. They didn't repent, not because they were atheists. They didn't repent because they didn't want to. They wanted to continue to do what they do, even though they know that God exists. And so this gives us insight to the hardness of their heart. I, I like to refer to it as the, the feral syndrome or the feral disorder. Disorder, I think, is what the, uh, is all these psychologists use, so I'm going to use that. The feral disorder. What's the feral disorder? Well, he hardened his heart. Continued to harden his heart. And so what did God do? God affirmed that hardest. And we can read that in Pharaoh. But, you know, we see that happening even in this day. As people harden their heart to God, it becomes more difficult to repent. The longer you stay unrepented, the more difficult it is to repent. Why? Because your heart gets harder and harder. The longer they wait to repent, the more impossible it gets to repent. The heart becomes harder and harder. And, you know, there is a time when God begins to affirm that hardness. And we saw that with Pharaoh. If you read that account right there in Exodus, in Pharaoh's account, what we see is that Pharaoh, about seven or eight times, between the seventh and eighth time, I believe, Pharaoh says, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then between the seventh and eighth time, you see God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so you can kind of see this intersection where Pharaoh's hardening his heart, and then God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. So why does God do that? Well, I believe it has to do with, uh, with the timetable of God. That there was a time when God wanted to release his people from bondage, right? And so Pharaoh would be that vehicle to release him, but Pharaoh didn't want to do it. And so Pharaoh chose to harden his heart, so God would begin. He's past the point of no return, and so God would affirm Pharaoh's hardness of heart to get the show on the road so that they would be 
release, his people would be released at a certain time, and that they would go, right, and receive the law of God at Mount Sinai, and that they would go and they would enter the land, and they would become a nation. There's a timetable of God, even though he allows man to make decisions. God is over those decisions, right? And so his timetable goes forth, and so I believe in God's sovereignty, he knew that Pharaoh was going to continue to harden his heart, and so he affirmed that hardness. Now, I believe the same thing is happening here. Notice a good portion of our scripture this morning says that the ones that survive, a third of mankind, maybe two billion more people killed by this demonic realm. And the ones that survive, it says what? They still did not repent. Do you think their hearts are hard? Yeah, I think they're hard enough. And I think God is beginning to affirm that hardness. It's the Pharaoh disorder the pharaoh syndrome and you know i got to tell you people we can experience that too you know the longer you stay unrepentant the harder it is for you to repent your heart becomes calloused the things that we're allowing to happen in our schools and in our workplaces things like having cold bathrooms it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman you just use the bathroom for everybody if a woman's in there, you can go in there and use the bathroom. I mean, can you imagine 50 years ago, you'd be thrown in jail. But what's happening, people? The conscience is becoming seared, right? Insensate to wrong. And so the longer it takes, right, for us to repent, the further down the hole we get. And pretty soon it becomes impossible to repent. I would just share with you, this is what's happening. This is what's being described. So after this devastating judgment, a third of the people are killed. And nobody, there's no, there are no, no atheists. They know it's God. But it says none of them repent because their hearts are seared. Now, I wouldn't, would share with you that God is now hardening their hearts, I believe. It's the Pharaoh syndrome, the Pharaoh disorder. Because... He's on a timetable, isn't he? By the end of the tribulation, within that last seventh year, right, of the tribulation, Jesus is going to return. Right? So there's a time where the Lord says, hey, I give you all this opportunity to repent. It gets diff more difficult to repent. But there's a time he says, you know what? I'm going to get this show on the road. And this is kind of the sense that we, we see, right? That, that these judgments are getting more intense, stronger, more perishing. It's all pointing towards the time when Jesus returns. I want to underscore that to you, judgment, right? Judgment. But I want to underscore also to you God's mercy. God gives them every opportunity to do it. All they have to do is say, you know what? Lord, forgive me for my sins. I don't want to do these things anymore. Be my Lord and Savior. Think God will forgive them? Well, absolutely. But they're past the point of no return, we see. They can't. They've waited too long. Okay, so this is the flow. This is the gist of chapter 9 in this sixth trumpet judgment that we see. But we do see God's mercy. They can still repent. But it's almost as if they can't because they've waited so long. Okay? But judgment. Judgment, I want you to note, is God's strange work. How do I know that? Well, Isaiah chapter 28 verse 21 says so. I want to write that in your notes. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21. And now Isaiah, there's a lot of judgment too. He's warning Israel, right? To flee from idolatry. It's the same message from here in Revelation 
chapter 9. They're idolatrous practices, right? Isaiah has the same message, but he says that God is going to come and judge, but it's God's strange work. What does God desire? Mercy and grace. He desires to save them. You know, God desires that not one should perish. That's his desire, but that all would come to repentance. But he's going to honor their choices. And so we see here that really it's his last resort is to judge. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21. In the New King James, it calls it not the stranger, but his unusual work. In the ESV, I like this, it says it's his foreign work or his alien work. So what would be his regular work or his common work? If judgment is his strange and unusual work, his foreign work, what would be his domestic or his usual this common work, it would be what? Grace and mercy, huh? But I got to tell you, when grace and mercy is denied over and over and over again, what's he going to do? He's going to exercise judgment. But isn't it interesting, even through God's judgment, very few repent. And so we're going to look at that as we get to verses 20 and 21. Let's start with the parts, verse 13. Revelation 9, verse 13, this sixth trumpet judgment, the second woe, it says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now, the golden altar has been referred to several times prior. It's where the prayers of the martyred saints were going up from. Remember that? Also, I want to just take you actually to that scripture. We had references to the altar and the prayers going up from the saints at the altar, the slain saints, right, in uh, tribulation uh, at several different places. And so if you go with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Remember, we noted that prior, right? upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now, the prayers of all the saints is mixed with incense, right? And remember that bowl of incense, right? It throws it down on this earth, and we see, what, fire and thunderings, right, and lightnings. It's judgment, right? And so the prayers of all the saints mixed with incense, they're the prayers of judgment. Not only the prayers of the martyred saints, I believe, but saints of all time. How long, O oh Lord, before you're going to bring justice to this earth? Those are the prayers. And remember, he throws it down to the earth. Well, that's all from the altar there. Remember, we noted that. Now, when it says here in verse 13 in chapter 9, it says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Could this be the united voice again, right, of the prayers of the saints for judgment? Could it be? It, it very well may be. Now, I'm going to read this comment from Dr. Um, Dr. Walver, John Walver, in his commentary, and he refers to this as well. He says this, he says, here in its final mention in Revelation, so this is the final mention of the altar, and every other mention has been what these prayers of the saints, right? It says, in, here in its final mention in Revelation, the altar is related to God's judgment. How is it related? The prayers of the saints, right, are praying for judgment. It says, the inference is that this judgment, like those preceding it, is partially an answer to the prayers of the persecuted saints on earth and a token of divine response and preparation for their deliverance. Okay, so remember we noted this, that 
the prayers of the saints there at the altar, the souls of the saints there. Now, I think all the saints at this point, right, the prayers are what? Fueling the judgment. Remember, that's when the judgment gets really kind of intense. And here it gets even more so. So I want you to kind of note this. Every time it's referred to the prayers of the saints, it's like the volume or the intensity of the judgment gets a, gets a little bit heightened. So he's right here in verse 13 of chapter 9, what happens? We see this voice come from the altar, and Walvoord is suggesting it could be those prayers again. And what's going to happen? A third. Two billion people taken out. Can you imagine that? Fueled by what? prayers for justice could be could be these same ones okay it says and i heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before god saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates and so through this call from the altar to judge we see the judgment comes through these four angels who are bound now these good angels are bad angels what would be your guess Probably be bad angels, right? Because I don't see anywhere in Scripture where good angels are bound. It's only the bad angels are bound. We saw that last week. Remember in the abyss, the bottomless pit, right? And the fallen angel, which was Satan. Remember we referred to Revelation 12 to get the commentary on that. right? He's given the keys. He's confined to this earth. He's given the keys, right, to unlock the abyss or the bottomless pit. And we see this horde, these hordes of demons that come on out. And they torment man. Okay, so we see that the bound ones are evil angels. Okay, so these four would be very evil. Notice it says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, why the great river Euphrates? I'm not 100% sure, but I'm just reading this straight from my study Bible. It says, Euphrates, traditionally the eastern boundary of the people of God and also of the Roman Empire. By that they mean, when you look at a map, Euphrates, where is, where is that? That's in Babylon. Right? And Babylon, we know, is a picture of the world. It's modern-day Iraq. And so when you look at a picture where Israel's located in Babylon, is to the east there, right? And so the Euphrates River, right? A lot of um, this commentator in this study Bible says, tradition, the eastern boundary of, of the people of God. So the people of God will extend usually to that boundary that they're, saying, they're saying. It's a reference to that, okay? I, I read another commentator who's referring to actually the boundaries of the, of the land, maybe going east, eastward, okay? But nevertheless, it says that these four demonic entities, these four evil angels, right, they're bound right there at the river Euphrates. Kind of think about it this way, at the boundaries of where God's people, right, inhabit. And notice their power says, so the four angels, verse 15, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So when you read verse 15, you sense this, that they're waiting. They've been prepared for that hour, day, month and year. They're waiting for a long time, huh? And they're bound. So they're not released to do it until this moment. Now, when you read Pastor Chuck's comment on this, him and another commentator, only those two, they kind of mention this, that in the Greek, it would seem to, it would seem to infer from the Greek, it would seem to infer that this judgment happened within an hour. So they're waiting for this hour, specific hour day, but it happened within an hour. Now, I read these other commentators. See, I don't, 
I don't know Greek that well. And so I just kind of do the study at the commentators, right? And so, but a couple of them do mention this. Now, several of them don't. Walver doesn't, and other ones that I'm reading doesn't. So you might just want to take that in. But nevertheless, they're waiting for this specific time. But if it does happen within an hour, boy, can you imagine how even more devastating that is? It's devastating to have 2 billion people taken out. Whether it's an hour or whether it's 10 hours or 20 hours or 10 days, we know it has to happen within the seven-year tribulation and probably within maybe less than that. And then you have all these other judgments, so it could be, I don't know, within, I don't know, a month, two months. All we know is that 2 billion people at this point, remember, 2 billion were already killed in one of the previous judgments when a fourth of mankind taken out. So again, you take 8 billion, right? A fourth is 2 billion. You have 6 billion. Now a third of 6 billion is what? Another 2 billion. So within these judgments, 4 billion people taken out within a 7-year period. Can you imagine that? You cannot deny that God is judging this earth. And that's why Dr. Henry Morris, he observes is that, hey, there's going to be no atheists in the tribulation. Everybody's going to know there's a God. But there's still going to be, what, many that don't repent. Can you imagine that? Now, verse 16 says, Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. So these four evil angels, they release an army of 200 million. Now, I have to read that over and over again because that's so many. You know how many 200 million are? Has there ever been a 200 million army? Has there ever been? You know how many 200 million is? Most nations aren't even 200 million people. You know, there's never been a 200 million army. Now, China has mentioned, right, oh, we can have that, but there's never been. Now, this is, I don't believe a physical army. This is a demonic realm. And they're, they're paying their attention or they're getting direction for these four evil angels. And the description we see right after this, we know that there's a demonic realm. 200 million. I have to repeat that because oftentimes I say 2 million because I have a hard time thinking. 200 million? 2 million armies is enough. 200 million? Can you, can you imagine that? And this is a demonic realm. And they're going to kill... Two billion people. More than two billion. That's using the estimates of the population today, pre-tribulation. Could you imagine by that devastation, the judgment? So you see, the judgment on the people. Remember we noted this, the first four trumpet judgments, the judgment on the land, stripping the blessings of the land. But oftentimes God does that, right? In his mercy, he judges your blessings before he judges you. We can't deny it. He's judging the people now. Now, why all this judgment? We're going to look at this as we get to 20 and 21. His desire is that they repent. But judgment is his peculiar work. It's his strange work. It's his foreign work. He usually causes people to repent through what? His mercy and his grace. And I want to underscore that to you. Judgment is his foreign work. And the reason is because I believe, and I believe Scripture shows us that not too many people repent through judgment, but they do repent through grace and mercy. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Agua Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. 
Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.